It's never too early to learn that the government is a greedy piglet that suckles on a taxpayer's teat until they have sore, chapped nipples. Guys, want any crack, by the way? You good? Anybody uh, want some crack? Yeah, can you like overnight that to me? Absolutely. Sure. Yeah. USPS, baby. We're using the system against the system. I love it. I think that would be it. a good, if you had to do one like hard drug, hard street drug for good for podcasting, I think crack would actually be like top three. It would have to be a good oh, one. Oh, yeah. No doubt. You want I mean, I get for sure. It depends what kind of pot you're right. It depends what kind of podcast you're running, but crack is going to be a top three most of the time. Um, I just did a, I, I don't, I don't know. I just did a podcast entirely on Delta eight THC. I was flipping out. It was ridiculous. It felt like a key bump of Coke. It was, um, really interesting, <laughs> really powerful stuff. Yeah. Is that that isolate that it's like, I've heard about it new. It's like, they basically like the same way they get CBD. Like they take the one cannabinoid out of like oh, yeah. regular weed. Okay. Oh yeah. It's intense. It, they, the studies say that it's not as strong as Delta nine. The only study I saw that linked that was a rat study. So they have no idea what it does to human beings. <laughs> so uh, it's to me, it's stronger than the Delta nine and it's in such lower quantity. I, I don't know, but yeah. So I'm did still coming off the of study that. On, uh, I did. This on is New York city three. rats. Yes. Day yeah. Three. Right. <laughs> this is day three of my, uh, Delta eight experimentation. I bought three separate 500 milligram dosages. Today's day three. <laughs> Just seeing what it does. I'm fraught mentally. I'm completely fried. Oh, I see. I thought that was the objectivism that was frying your brain. I can't believe that I, I did the reading on objectivism that I managed to do while my brain hurts like this, actually. <laughs> could you could you imagine explaining like your experimentation and then reading Ayn Rand to Ayn Rand? <laughs> she would be like, what the yeah. fuck is wrong with yeah. you? Yeah, yeah she's smoking cigarettes. Yeah. <laughs> Look, we all yeah, we all have our vices, ma'am. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Uh. So we kind of, I wanted to pick your brain a little bit while we're talking about objectivism, because you are the, the philosopher of the millennial and digital <laughs> age. You are thanks, the, the voice of reason and ethics. <laughs> Thank you. Thanks a lot. <laughs> so, and, and you have a voice for radio, so it's perfect. This is this is all things you said to me at Childeberg where I was like, please stop. Don't say those things. <laughs> I, I drunkenly reminded him of it like five times. Um, yeah, it was <laughs> a voice for radio. So, I, you know, you you have studied multiple philosophers more so than I think all of us combined, you know, with the segments you've done on Pete's show. And I happened to notice that objectivism was conveniently missing. So um, we just recently had a conversation with uh, Dr. Stephen Hicks, who is a proponent of a lot of Ayn Rand's beliefs. So, and I know from what I've seen on social media that you and many other members of the in-group are against Ayn Rand and her philosophy of and, objectivism. And Hicks. And, and <laughs> I've on numerous occasions have been very against Stephen Hicks, but yeah. So in, I will say that I find him to be a better voice of her philosophy than uh, Yaron Brook. I think that Yaron yeah. Brook is, yeah. he's a fraud. He's, he's scum. From so what gonna, I know, many of the objectivists who I know agree with you on that one. Yeah. 
Well, he came out in support of the vaccine passports. He's like, well, if it's a private business, oh I don't see why they can't. And I was like, it's just a terrible representative of, I would say, so I'm going to give Ayn Rand credit and say that she is a excellent intro into the liberty movement. Now, I also I, know that some ne- I won't even neocons, disagree. I know some neocons like Paul Ryan are fans of her work too, but there's always going to be outliers in every crowd. So I wanted to, let's start off with you giving your, your thoughts on objectivism and then we can chime in from there. Um, so we could do, I, maybe I could frame it specifically t- towards Rand's philosophy, but I, you had said something there that I want to echo immediately, which is um, I, I, and my objections to her don't focus at all on the political or economic theories that she presents. Um, for two reasons. Number one, I think um, well, I came from Robert Nozick, who I'm going to be using a lot here. Uh, Robert Nozick's uh, Anarchy, State, and Utopia is one of the most influential books for me to have read. And in that book, as well as in many other places, he attacks Rand on numerous occasions. But even he says, you know, I find myself agreeing with her political philosophy and economic philosophy. I just don't think there's any metaphysical basis to it, which is where I chose to not read Rand further. I did read Anthem. I did like Anthem. Short, sweet, to the point. I will yep. probably never read Atlas Shrugged in the same way I will probably never read, um, oh God, what's the Von Mises masterpiece that I'll never read? Oh God, I'm forgetting. Human Human Action. Action. Yeah, I will never read that. I'll just never read it. It's a slog. I'll never read Das Kapital. Um, things like that. It's just too big. But I liked Anthem when I read it, and I liked if you can separate the ideology of selfishness thing, which I think is the hang up for most people, it's a hang up for me as well. Um, I think the political theory that she presents is more or less fine. Then you have guys like we mentioned, Yarnbrook, Leonard Peikoff, uh, who do very strange things with how that philosophy precedes itself after her death, including I think Peikoff was, uh, has at least once suggested that it would be a good idea to nuke Iran. I know for a fact Yarnbrook has been on the bad side of the war in Iraq, uh, as many as many other bad uh, drawings he makes. And so I think from the basis of that, we can say that whatever Rand's philosophy is, it isn't as objective as she'd like it to be, or at least the way that people seem to um, push it forward after her death is much like how Marx thought that his philosophy was internally consistent. And then you instantly see after his death, they need to start organizing to figure out what the hell we do going forward. Then you have Lenin, Trotsky, you have the anarchists and, and so breakway. So it's, that's not to Rand's discredit. It's maybe to Rand's lack of clarity, but I, I don't know. I haven't read the largest of the books. I only know the criticisms, so I can't, I can't assert that. Um, but my main issue with her is what I do know is um, the basis, the axiomatic principles that she sets out to begin with, especially A is A, is one that I have a lot of problems with. I don't know if you want to get immediately into the metaphysics of this, because you did just ask for the brief introduction of it. But again, just to clarify, it's not the politics, it's not the economics, it's purely the metaphysics that I take issue with. And a lot of people have agreed with that, but have still appreciated the things that I'm not going to be focusing on here, the politics, the economics. That's fine, all well and good. And maybe one day I will pick up a book of hers and read it besides Anthem and figure out what I like in the politics. But 
I focus on philosophy, first principles. That at least that's what I like to focus on, rationality. And from the basis, I I find myself disagreeing with her. That's that's a fair statement. Um, yeah, I would. I actually I've told these guys on multiple occasions. I would read if you do choose to go down that path. Atlas shrugged. Read it last. I think her other novel, her other novels tell the story better and they're shorter. Now, have you read a, a bulk of her writings? I've read all of her novels. Oh, great! Oh, this is good then. So you can but stop me I'm where a, I don't make sense. And I'm a doofus, and I started with Atlas Shrugged, and I uh, regretted it. I regretted it because there's a better order. It's like Star Wars, you know. You got to watch it in a certain order, and it's better. <laughs> in the right way, right? Yeah. Okay. Yeah, and I, I mean, I've read fascists and communists and postmodernists and all kinds of people. So I don't have any inherent disagreement with reading her at all. Um, although I know it's going to be a slog. So if she wrote academic papers, essays, things like that, I'm going to be much happier to read those than like, I don't read fiction. I, I just got asked on a podcast. Um, I, I don't know if it's out. So I'm just going to say on the libertarian Institute, it's not Scott's show on the libertarian Institute. I just got asked on, a podcast and the guy asked me and again i'm only saying this because i don't know if he wants it public wasn't stated that way he asked me what my top five books were and it broke my brain instantly because i don't i don't <laughs> i fall in and out of love with my favorite authors constantly uh a guy who i liked last week i think is an idiot today and then in two months i'll think he's genius again mm -hmm. so um i am super detached like i have things that i believe in but i'm super detached from just spitting on an author because I, I don't like the way they think. I read a whole lot of people whose ways I don't like think of thinking, but I, I would just need something shorter to start. Right, right. No, I get that. She did do some essays. I haven't dabbled as much into the essays. I started to, and then I heard Yaron Brook, and I was like, all right, I'm just going to stick with the novels. That's enough. <laughs> yeah, right. <laughs> well, this guy sucks. It sounds like when you're talking about how you fall in and in and out of love with certain authors, that by itself is very anti-Randian because the trademark trait of Randians is they follow her as a religious figure. Like you have to accept her beliefs and her philosophy wholesale, otherwise none of it works, which is, I mean, like the definition of a religion. You you attack Rand, you attack rationality. Yep. Right. So the minute you attack Rand, you're being irrational or I mean, that is not a charitable way to say it. But ultimately, someone hears you attack Rand. They don't go stop attacking that author. They go stop attacking the bulk of rationality that she revealed to us, which is um, it, it reminds me a lot of the scientific community. And that's why I don't really like the scientific community very much either. Um, it's uh, it's very easy. The Faucian way, of course, right to go. It's not hey. You're not attacking me, bro. I just wrote it. Okay, it's always been there. I just wrote it out. Now, again, that's not to Rand's discredit. She, like several other theorists who I do like, were absolutely notorious for building a cult of personality around themselves. I mean, everybody knows that. Her followers are very willing to defend her to all degrees. I think Alan Greenspan just a few years ago finally came out and said, you know what, there might be some flaws in Rand's philosophy, but for the bulk of his career, he was a Randian to the core. Um, and, and again, not an issue to have vociferous followers, not an issue from her. Build up your brand as you will. In fact, it's one of the most admirable things about her is that she has such a powerful brand. 
I mean, what do they say? Atlas Shrugged is the second most selling book uh, in, in, in America, right? Before the Bible, which is a little interesting. Kind of it is, interesting. That is interesting. Two books there, considering she's a militant atheist and, yeah. and the Bible's number one. She's number two, not far behind. America can't seem to make up its mind sometimes. Um, but yeah, I, I don't want to down. Here's my thing. And Tyler, I talked to you about this before. I, whenever I do anything on Pete's show, when I did it on my show, and I'm going to do it on a few shows coming up because I, I like the format of it, when I summarize an author, my, my main thing is to not attack them at all because right. I just know people don't like, just like me, people don't like to read. It's too long. It takes too long, and you have to read the sentences again. And sometimes some of these thinkers speak in such strange poetic ways that you have to read a book two or three times in order to get a base understanding of what they're trying to communicate. And so I don't want to muddy uh, the waters too much as I'm presenting the concepts to begin with. Like It's a little difficult to have an unbiased opinion about someone if you're going, all right, so Rand said this, and this is why I think she's wrong. Then she said this, and this is why I think she's... It's just not a, a good way to educate on the subject. So I'm, right. I'm going to... I am going to admit here this is not an, a Rand education episode. Because if it was, then I probably wouldn't say anything about how I feel about her. But um, since this is a what I think about Rand... And I think it's useful because it gives me a better picture of what I think about axiomatic principles generally. Um, let's start. Can I start with what her philosophy is? Yeah. Yeah. Okay. This is from her words. I am primarily the creator of a new code of morality, which has so far been believed impossible, namely a morality, not based on faith, not on arbitrary whim, not on emotion, not on arbitrary edict, mystical or social, but on reason. A morality that can be proved by means of logic, which can be demonstrated to be true and necessary. Now, may I define what morality is? Since man's mind is his basic means of survival, he has to hold to reason as an absolute, by which I mean that he has to hold to reason as his only guide to action and that he must live by independent judgment of his own mind. That is the highest moral purpose. That is the achievement of his own happiness. That man must live as an end in himself and must follow his own rational self-interest. So the political conclusions that you get from stuff like that, obviously, is a micro-government, minimal government usually, maybe... Uh, I, I, she wouldn't have rejected the term because I believe it was Konkin who came up with the term, but probably very minarchistic. Yeah. Um, no minimum wage laws, no public schools, no taxes, child just labor, the enforcement of she contract, child labor, which she is didn't a banger. Any of that. Yeah. Oh, well, she should have because that's a banger. Get those kids working; it's better than school. <laughs> Hell yeah. Uh, yeah. Uh, economy, laissez-faire. Um, obviously, a, a a rational individual doesn't try and organize a system of universal health care or I mean in the product because again remember this is about seeking happiness and self-fulfillment mm -hmm. so there's cer certain collectivist things that she does not really believe are rational behaviors uh, at least at their bases but again this is just the politics of it unsurprisingly then 
There's politics, businessmen, they admire Rand and her policy recommendations. Uh, but of course, very few of those same people are necessarily, nor do they have to be, which is a very interesting thing about principles in themselves, uh, familiar with the analytical philosophy that she comes from, the basis, the metaphysics of it. They just hear the politics, the economics. And there's a really big disconnect between the impact of her political and economic thought as opposed to the metaphysics that she created or rather innovated off of Aristotle. The metaphysical underpinnings obviously are what are purported in her own writings to be the justifications for the political, social, economic views that she has, which is unfortunate because she does attempt to create a coherent system and she does attempt to have higher order political views as a direct result from the foundations that she creates, the foundations of metaphysics and logic. And it's definitely, it's a problem because the a priori knowledge that you start with is the difference between who's allowed to eat and who's allowed to be rich and who's allowed to create what kind of art. And so there's a lot of implications based on the metaphysics, which she herself says, be a rational self individual, make up your own mind, start from first principles. That's what she does. And you usually don't get people doing the very same action that she herself advocates. They just kind of listen to the later stuff and assume the earlier stuff holds. So there's two ways that you can approach objectivism, or at least her objectivism. Uh, the first one, and it rings very hoppy into me, the first one is the political, which is that there are uh, producers and looters, intelligent and parasitic. Um, she does create a binary in society of those two things. The latter of those two things, the looters, are, they largely exist by force of numbers alone, and uh, they are, to her, um, kind of the garbage of democracy. Like, the, really where the worst garbage of democracy comes from is in this looting tendency. She exaggerates her characters too. Like the the you when you read like the Fountainhead, for example, it's very clear who are the producers and who are the looters. Like right. She ma she makes it like it's it's painfully obvious to see. And then hold on. So then the producers, so the producers are like uh, cultivated Ubermensch. I yeah, mean, ultimately, yes, the, yes. The, the 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 producers are. Uh, the ones who ultimately triumph over the rest of society, ultimately help to build society to the grander stage. It's very capitalistic. It's very capitalistic. One way or another, it's, it's, that is the capitalistic tendency, the great man theory, few men trickling down on everybody else. You could see where all of the 1970s, 80s forms of Reaganite capitalism and Thatcherite capitalism really come into play. Anyway, there's more. Um, a lot of the values in her work are found to be very uh, persuasive. Um, as I said, if you contest her or her beliefs uh, to a person who really is a believer in her, you're, you're attacking the whole of rationality and prizing collectivism over individualism, shrugging mm -hmm. at excellence, uh, probably through jealousy. I mean, we know about all of the things that she says about the various uh, theorists who she attacks in her work, which I'll get to. So that's the first way, is that you have this 
great man theory overlaid by the a, a, a an understanding that if you attack that, you attack the entire system of rationality, and therefore you are irrational. And by the internal logic of the system itself, you can be immediately dismissed. So there's a one difficult way of trying to get to objectivism, which is rebuffed. But this is to me the other way, the better way. The other way is to do it <clears throat> by going into the system of philosophy itself, which is completely materialist, absolutely godless, and totally rationalistic. It starts from three axioms, that of existence, identity, and consciousness. And it moves forward to create metaphysical, epistemological, ethical, moral views. Uh, I mean, there's a lot of, in my opinion, dubious inferences made. And the one that I want to talk about is the jump from existence to identity as a necessity. Um, which I'll get to. Uh, but obviously, from any axiomatic base that you have, you have to build on. Rand does this with existence. So the, the principle is that existence exists and therefore is characterized by identity, which is populated by conscious beings who have to use reason in order to survive as individuals and therefore the dictates of reason, what reason is built out of and tells us, forces us to admit that the rational self-interest that we have is the only metaphysically coherent way, and therefore implying that capitalism and free markets, economically, met metaphysically, I mean in all senses, uh, ethically, are the only rational way forward. To deny that is to deny her main axiomatic principle that A is A. So we'll go to what people usually like to think about Rand, which is that she's incredibly conceited. <laughs> I believe she calls Kant corrupt, Hegel nonsensical, and Wittgenstein garbage, which is my favorite of them. And she also described herself as the most creative thinker alive at the time when Hannah Arendt... Yeah. Uh, Sartre, who I think is a rat fuck, but it doesn't matter. Camus, Adorno, Heidegger, Rawls, Karl Popper, Simone de Beauvoir. All those people were alive at the same time as her. She said she was the most creative thinker alive. <laughs> so she, she had fallouts with like Murray Rothbard. Um, who's yeah, the lady, right? <laughs> who's the lady who wrote like, is it the God and the Machine or the Man God Machine? Isabella. Uh, she was considered like one of the the founders of like the female founders of libertarianism. They you know they give her credit with Ayn Rand, but they had a falling out over faith actually, because oh, Ayn Rand nice. was so militantly atheist that she once people wouldn't accept the fact that she believed God wasn't real, like she just cut him off. That was it. Yeah, she was um, very militant, but it goes with the theories. What I like about her is that she definitely demonstrates exactly what you should be like if you have strong axiomatic principles that you believe in, which is there could be absolutely no quarter or argument against them because they have to start from a mathematical basis. And, and there's mathematicians who've gone up against her. I, I couldn't even begin to tell you <laughs> what their arguments are. I tried to look at mathematical arguments. Not a chance. But... <laughs> In continuing to ad hom her until we get back to the point where I'm not going to ad hom her anymore, uh, it is Greenspan, who in 1957 wrote, Alan Greenspan wrote about Atlas Shrugged, Atlas Shrugged is a celebration of life and happiness. 
Justice is unrelenting. Creative individuals and undeviating purpose and rationality achieve joy and fulfillment. Parasites who persistently avoid either purpose or reason perish as they should. That's Greenspan at 57. It's interesting to celebrate life that surrounds around the joy of perishing parasites. Uh, it almost seems totalitarian. Again, that's Greenspan, not Rand. And we know Greenspan... <laughs> Yeah. yeah. Would many argue he was a totalitarian? Probably not. Uh, pretty, pretty fair. Uh, it is interesting that such a theory was produced just a few years after the end of the Second World War. And again, I want to mention that Yaron Brooks has called for the war in Iraq. Leonard Peikoff called for the immediate end of terrorist states such as Iran, did not rule out use of nuclear weapons in that process. And again, Brooks later on had a very embarrassing moment where he had said mask mandates and vaccine passports are all good because, uh, because of the situation that we're in today. They will maximize your personal freedom once they're put in because at least you'll be able to leave the house. Uh, very silly. <laughs> um, but again, this is not Rand. This is just the people who've come after Rand. Now, I'm doing a lot of moralizing here, so, which is very leftist. So let me go to the right now. <laughs> Instead, I'd like to attack uh, the metaphysics of it. Or not me, but I'd like to highlight the attack on her metaphysics by someone much smarter than me, Robert Nozick. The interesting thing is the difference of opinions over the value of Rand's work are very stark, right? There's very few people who have a moderate opinion of her once they, once they contact her. She's either a genius, a fraud or she's the most important world's historical intellectual ever, or she's a hack. There's very few in-betweens. The polarization is incredibly remarkable in that sense. And it is true that her opponents like to use that. They like to attack her from the media as a, a, a one act. I think it was Rothbard, actually, who created a, 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 a I think it was a play of some kind. It's like it's called yes. Mozart something. He created like some sort of a play yes. or story about her to attack her, to disparage her. And even he ad homs the shit out of her in that uh, all about mm -hmm. her egoism the entire time. Rant's proponents, obviously, um, who those who are intellectuals, find those evasions, those attacks, not just to be attacks on her character, but they always use them as a confirmation that they hold a rationally acquired set of truths over the people attacking her. So, I mean, you see this a lot when people attack Rand. It's not just a, a now I must defend Rand. It is your attack on her kind of proves what she's saying. Still an ad hom, still not very useful. However, there is one useful theorist who I'm very familiar with who really kicked off next to Lysander Spooner, George Carlin, Penn Jillette, <laughs> the earliest thinkers <laughs> who I ever encountered of libertarianism. <laughs> And Robert Nozick happens to be the most uh, influential one. He created an article. It was called On the Randian Argument, where he proposed to examine the moral foundations of capitalism that were provided by her system. Everybody knows Robert Nozick is absolutely a pure capitalist. It's something that I've attacked him on ever since. I, I value the guy a lot. Pure capitalist, almost unthinkingly so. About as rationalistic as she is. But even he takes issues with it. From the very beginning of that article, he writes, quote, I would most like to set out the argument as a deductive argument and then examine the premises. Unfortunately, it is not clear to me exactly what the argument is. So he tries to assemble what he feels is a fair argument for her that he can then destroy. 
because that's what he does. He does it with John Rawls. He does, I mean, he does it with a, a John Locke, an incredible number of thinkers. This is what Robert Nozick does in all of his writings is debunk other thinkers who are close to him. <laughs> that's probably why he wasn't well appreciated by people outside of the Academy. Um, so his argument goes like, <laughs> yeah, they, they sure did. Outside of the Academy, he was hated. Inside of the Academy, they tolerated him because he was the only right winger there. These are the four points that he comes up with, and, and, and you tell me if they're fair. The argument goes in four sets. Number one, only living beings have values with a point. Number two, therefore, life itself is a value to a living being which has it. Number three, life as a rational person is a value to the person whose life it is. And four, therefore, some principle about interpersonal behavior and rights and purposes. The gap, obviously, for Nozick comes between two and four. Again, I'll read it one more time. This is him summarizing what he got out of her argument. Number one, only living beings have values with a point. Number two, therefore, life itself is a value to a living being which has it. Number three, therefore, life as a rational person is a value to the person whose life it is. And number four, therefore, some principle about interpersonal behavior and rights and purposes. He puts that in quote, meaning, therefore, she derives some set of principles about interpersonal behavior out of those first three. Now, he moves on with that argument and he examines the premise that life is necessarily a precondition for existence. This is what he says. One cannot reach the conclusion that life itself is a value merely by conjoining together many sentences containing the word value and life or alive, and by hoping that by some process of association and mixture, this connection will arise. The problem with Rand, Nozick says, does not consider that there are other value-forming concepts during the course of her transcendental argument, and that it has... She presents no means of ruling these things out. Again, cannot content be given to should statements by any of the vast number of other dimensions or possible goals? It is puzzling why it is claimed that only against a background in which life is assumed to be a value can should statements be given in a sense. And it is puzzling. Certainly there are alternatives to creating value, and it is not that these alternatives do not value life in themselves. Of course they do. It's just derivatively. Rand's claim is that valuing life has to be foundational. But apart from some intuitive appeal, she never really says why. In a footnote, Nozick concludes that Rand's attraction lays primarily in the way that it handles, that is, the philosophy, certain cases and the kinds of considerations that it brings to bear and its sense of life. He continues... For many, the first time that they encounter a libertarian view saying that a rational life with individual rights is possible and justified in the writings of Miss Rand, and they're finding such a view attractive and right, easily leads them to think that that particular argument of Miss Rand offers a view that is conclusive and adequate. And this is correct. Nozick himself, as I said, is sympathetic to some of the conclusions that Rand draws, but he himself finds himself unable to endorse the arguments presented for them. The moral case for capitalism flounders in a moray of 
unjustified assumptions, leaps of inference, and glosses over a tone with material certainty. Her metaphysics, in my opinion, don't fare better than that. And it's damning since the value theory is meant to follow directly from the basic axioms, identity, existence, and consciousness. Uh, it is Sidney Hook who calls it an abuse of identity, or A and A. Sidney Hook writes in 61, The extraordinary virtues Miss Rand finds in the law that A is A suggests that she is unaware that logical principles by themselves can only test consistency. They cannot establish truth. Swearing fidelity to Aristotle, Miss Rand claims to deduce not only matters of fact from logic, but with as little warrant, ethical rules and economic truths as well. As she understands them, the laws of logic license her in proclaiming that existence exists, which is very much like saying that the law of gravitation is heavy and the formula of sugar sweet. The problem, therefore, in a nutshell, is that logical principles are devoid of empirical content. One cannot derive particular facts from A is A any more than one can conjure a slice of pizza from the Pythagorean theorem. Tautologies are meant to be vacuous. That's the point of them. Certainly in public education, it is not a logical contradiction in the same way that a married bachelor exists or a four-sided triangle is. I mean, we're, we're talking about things that move outside of the realm of theory into the empirical. She suggests that her metaphysics is meant to inform politics and society. Dude, we went to Illinois um, public schools. Anything is possible. <laughs> <laughs> right. Exactly. <laughs> uh, uh, Peacock disparages all forms of non-Aristotelian logic as inherently dishonest. Uh, he says that they're an explicit rebellion against reason and reality and therefore against man and values. But Nozick is completely clear on the logical issue. Rand, he says, is wrong. But not only that Rand uses strictly logical principles to derive ethical and political conclusions, which simply cannot happen, does not exist, impossible to do on its own, but the means by which she goes about the deduction that we should be so indulgent to permit, he says, is a strange wealth of confusion and error. He writes, the followers of Rand, for example, treat A is A, not just as everything is identical to itself, but as a kind of statement about the essence of things and the limits of things. A is A, he says, and it can't be anything else. Once it's A today, it, it cannot change its spot tomorrow. Now, obviously, that doesn't follow, he writes. I mean, he writes, from the law of identity, nothing follows about limitations on change. The weather is identical to itself, but it's changing all the time. The use that's made by people of the Randian tradition on this principle of logic, that everything is identical to itself, to place limits on what future behavior of things can be, or on the future nature of current things, is completely unjustified as I can see it. It's illegitimate, he calls it. And he goes on to cite John Galt in Atlas Shrugged. As, who's basically Rand's mouthpiece in the book? That she he is Rand yes. from what from what Nozick says. He says he, the he's source. He's the Ubermensch. He is in the book. He is the Ubermensch. Yes. He is the main character. He is the creator. The source of man's rights, Nozick writes, is not divine law or congressional law, but the law of identity. A is A, and man is man. Rights are conditions of existence required by man's nature for his 
proper survival. That is John Galt who claims that. Nozick is exactly right in claiming that Rand leverages the principle of identity to all kinds of strange metaphysical purposes, including the very contentious and false conclusions about the essentialism within people. In Galt's speech, A is A is turned into a statement about the essential nature of humankind that carries with it the full logical weight of that axiom. And it doesn't work. If we suppose that A is A, for instance, and in particular, you know, I'm not a dialectical theorist at all. There's absolutely no physical theory that asserts that this is useful, and therefore I don't think a priori personally is very useful, but this is her, her statement. A is A implies absolutely nothing about man's nature, and not even that man has a nature or that it is fixed, and it can't be changed or consciously altered. If man has a nature in Rand's sense, our rational aspects are a piece of our creative capacity, our imaginative self, and our empathetic abilities, our emotional landscape, our, se our, our sexual drives, everything. To the extent that Rand's analysis of human nature as rational is meant to be descriptive of what we actually are, is totally false. But this is maybe not what she means. Maybe she means instead we have a logically deduced yet normative claim about, say, the rational, conscious, apprehensiveness of independent reality that is central to man and his survival. That is the only value. And to that conclusion, I don't think it follows or can be justified by the principle of identity. But the last point I think is probably the most important, which is that apart from the details of her argument and the mysteries that her defenders attempt to get us arguing against, and the fact that the law of identity is applied to action and other interesting things, the most fundamental problem is the methodological assumption on the reflection of self-evident axioms and how they generate a host of inescapable political and economic truths. So in, in my preference, if I'm making an argument about how something should be, I would use case studies, available data, pragmatic, practical considerations, heuristic devices, I, and certainly I don't believe that the ends always justify the means. It's not elegant, but it works. I, I, it doesn't claim consistency, and no self-contained system can claim consistency. But that's the point of science, is to expand beyond itself. That is in contrast to the axiomatic a priori approach, which begins with all the possible self-evident truths that exist, and then derives conclusions based on them. That is the inherent issue for me. What is difficult for me, finally, is to understand why we should believe that reasoning from so-called first principles can tell us anything about how to build a society or maintain one at all, as human society is messy, complex, social, economic, political, full of crises, outbursts of passion, and predictable irrationalities, constantly. Would you a, also say yeah. that it's safe to assume that a pure objectivist society would only function if there was a bunch of uber uber menches in it oh i, like, I wonder like you've read more than me do you do, can she have uber mention working together uh and they do an atlas shrugged um there's a few of them and what's funny is that all the chicks in her novels all bang all the uber menches so <laughs> dude Dagny Tagger gets dicked down by every ubermensch male character in the book. 
Who was the dude that she had a, 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 a an affair with? He was certainly not an Uber mention. If you look at the picture of that yeah. guy. <laughs> well, so there you go. Ayn Rand was just following her her self uh, rational self interest. She was <laughs> trying pursuing to get, happiness as the day. ultimate goal. <laughs> right. <laughs> Even if he was married, right. nothing was right. stopping her. <laughs> <laughs> this is um, to me. From what I understand, having read cursorily about this, is that Randian theory is the opposite of chemistry or a hard science. Because think about it this way: in science, you really what it, where you begin, let's say, is chemistry, right? Are, are we talking pre twenty twenty science or like today? Yeah, science? we're talking about real science. Yeah, we're talking about <laughs> the, the my useful, science. <laughs> not Fauci science. Entirely, very inconsistent and entirely practical science, which is the good kind of science and not the weird religious kind of science. Yes, chemistry just works because you test it until it does. So you have a a, a baseline which is barely knowable, chemistry, right? And from there, you're supposed to do what? You go up to biology, and then you go up to psychology, and then you go to sociology and then political science, and then you go to economics. What Rand would have people believe is that the axiomatic method, the basis, chemistry, can tell us profound truths about the more complicated, higher order, nonlinear, complex systems that run the planet from logic alone. It, it would be like starting with math and ending with why you shouldn't you know kill dogs like randomly on the street abuse them and destroy them and murder them and it might sound absurd but in the way that i look at things there are different realms of knowledge entirely different realms of knowledge that never make full contact only ever overlap it is this arborescent tree-like top down or bottom up however you prefer the analogy to go way of thinking which does make the claim ultimately that logic, a thing that does not exist, that is not graspable, that is clearly results in different ways of approaching all of the later things we said, as all of Rand's devotees have very different opinions from one another, which they should not if it was mathematic. It makes the claim that you start with the math, you start with the logic, and then somehow you eventually get to child care and ways that you shouldn't have sex. <laughs> And her aesthetics, which are absolutely puzzling to me. I do know a little about her aesthetics. They're very puzzling to me. Uh, and by I do know a little, I could not restate any of it. I just was told about it by an objectivist once, and my eyes glazed over, and I was like, I don't know. I don't know. This is weird to me. This is strange. So to kind of go full circle with this, and I, I don't know if you've ever been on any objectivist uh, Reddit threads, I think no. <laughs> you should, you should, you, you should give it a I, go. Because I will I think, do that. That sounds interesting. I think you would get a kick out of it because here's the thing is I think that people and myself included have latched on to Ayn Rand's like economics and, and politics, which are pretty sound. I mean, you know, they're reasonable, but when it gets into the philosophy, it gets very muddy, just like all the critiques that you just said, where, people are always asking questions like, well, how would this work in an objectivist, you know, society? And no one has a fucking answer. Like you get, you'll, you'll get 10 different people saying that's not real objectivism. That's stupid. It's how, this is how it is. And you see a lot of that. And I, I think that what you just said ties it all up because 
she skips steps in, in, in the order of how she, her thinking goes, which leads me to believe that what she did is she escaped the Soviet Union and she fucking hated communists so much <laughs> yeah. that she went backwards. She, sure she went did. backwards. She didn't uh, like lay a foundation. She just had a hatred of communists. So she did everything the exact opposite outside of atheism uh -huh. that she thought would oppose them. Wow. I didn't consider her as a reactionary, but that it I, makes I, a lot of sense. I consider her a reactionary. Like if you, yeah, I so we, the living is very reactionary. Like the whole it, it's, I enjoyed it, but you got to like rant, like her writing style. Um, yeah. it, it's much shorter than the others. It's like 400 pages versus a thousand. But, uh, she, she makes it very known how shitty the Soviet system was. Right. And like, basically, you know, the premise is, is you'd rather be dead than live in the Soviet Union. So, which, which without, is true, <laughs> which is yeah. fair and true and a good analysis. Because <laughs> I think she escaped during the Stalin years, I believe. Oh, or yeah. Or, yeah. yeah. So she was living under a mobster rule. Oh, yeah. So, um, I, you listen, I, and this is what this is the challenging thing about her is um, the things that I find the, probably less objectionable are the things that most of the people who are critics of her find quite objectionable, which is her politics, economics, and so on and so forth. I hear them and I, I mean, I've gotten so into the Bitcoin thing that uh, anybody can say whatever they'd like. I think Bitcoin is going to completely reorder society in ways we don't quite understand yet. So you can have your way of looking forward at society, but man, I don't know yet when we have this new epoch that we're entering. Um, right. So I now look at most theories about when people say it's going to look like this in 100 years if we keep going the course. Um, have we ever gone the course? Is there a course, even one course at all? I, I don't think there has been or ever will be. This no. is why I don't like dialectics in general. Politics is reactionary, so we never have a straight course. I mean, unless you're in a monarchy where it's like a 100-year I mean, rule or something. You I, know? I mean, this is what's funny is it all goes back to Kant who she absolutely hated, but it was Kant who asserted a transcendental principle that could step outside of itself, which is insane to me and has led to all the worst people from Hitler to Stalin to every Marxist you can think of, fascist you can think of, neoliberal you can think of, all descent from Kant. This idea that uh, there's a transcendental regular, a transcendental ideal, and that everything is a derivative of it. And that, from the very base, I could do an entire episode on this. I'm planning to do an entire episode on why Kant is pure evil. But it's funny that Kant was hated by, you know, some of my favorite theorists and then <laughs> Rand for completely different reasons. <laughs> but ultimately, I think it, all the issues derive from him and his assertion that there is a transcendental principle that, that escapes from empirical observation, which I, I think leads to all of the absolute worst, most evil things you can think of. And um, so this goes very deep for me. Rand is, you know, when I look at Rand, I really don't look at her as much different than Marx in the sense that she was some sort of the most eternal optimist who I could ever imagine existing at, at all times to believe that she could write down how things were going to go. She could say that human beings were inherently had the potential, some of them, to become ubermenschen, which I think is also cr absolutely crazy. It's totally yeah. elitist, anti-populist, and, and it goes against kind of the sniff test. That's me. why the Nazis love that theory too. It, I mean, they, it, they love the Ubermensch. 
They, they, they sure did. Everybody does. See, that's the thing. And what's really funny is, you know, Jordan Peterson is a, uh, what, what was very interesting about Jordan Peterson and his, his critique of the postmodernists in his critique of the postmodernists does not cite the postmodernists even once. Uh, I am not going to make this claim. Absolutely. But in reading Stephen Hicks's books, uh, what is it called? Something postmodernism on postmodernism about postmodernism, he writes a whole book about postmodernism and in it, he barely cites <laughs> any of the postmodernists who he's actually attacking. And that isn't to attack Hicks in that sense. It is to say that as descendants of Rand, there's already an assumption about transcendental principles and truths that I cannot uh, uh, allow to go forward. That um, everybody, everybody who you can think of, all the theorists, the philosophers that you can think of just about elevated something to the position of God at one point or another, whether it be Rand doing it with the identity, the human, the self, whether it be uh, uh, Nietzsche doing it with the, with the Uber mention, the, the, the last man, I believe is what he actually calls it, the last man, yeah. whether it be the neoliberals who put neoliberal capitalism at the top of that and say, well, once we reach that, that's the end of history, or Marx who says, well, once we get to communism, that's the end of history because there's a dialectical historical process that is higher than God. Materialism is higher than God. Therefore, that is the process that moves us forward. To Martin Heidegger, who says that experience, or rather knowing experience of a situation, ascends to the highest point of knowledge. And it's all just people replacing the transcendental principle that Kant puts up with some new widget, some new little thing. Now, there are a lot of theorists who I read who do the exact opposite of this and try and deconstruct the idea of a transcendental pr principle entirely. And what ends up happening is you get called an anti-rationalist, which I am, but you get <laughs> that, that said in a pejorative instead of, an, oh, really? Well, let's explore that. It's always said in a pejorative sense. Um, I think ultimately my critique of Rand is very similar to the critique that I have of Marx, Hegel, uh, everybody who you can think of is they're all optimists. They're all incredibly she's, optimistic. She's rolling in her grave that you're, putting her in the same class as those gents. <laughs> uh, well, she, she comes from a tradition of thought. I mean, all of those guys came from the same tradition of thought. They were, all had to read Aristotle in college. Every single one of them had to read Aristotle in college and then go off of that. I mean, in fact, Hegel is, is a, a Platonist. I mean, he goes before Aristotle to the real core of it. And I, I put them all in the same place. They all believed there was an end of history coming. They all believe that there was some sort of a, a thing that happens or a person who exists or a godlike figure who comes down and ultimately snaps his fingers and boom, there it is. Now we're in the perfect society. So, and you think that Bitcoin is going to transcend that? No, I don't I, at all. I, I think Bitcoin is, um, I'm very excited about Bitcoin, but I think it's ultimately is going to utterly change what it means to be human and therefore get rid of that A is A, man is man thing in the first place. Um, I, I'm not... Ooh. I'm not optimistic about Bitcoin. I think there's some incredibly bad implications of it if you want to stay a human being as we understand it. But I think it's, number one, inevitable. Number two, looks like it was made by aliens, and so how can you not be fascinated by that? And number three, it's a reality. So it's coming. So we better start to understand it. In the same way, you know, Cody Wilson, remember Cody Wilson had said about the gun grabbers, this thing is already out there, and you guys need to adjust the way you look at the world now. We're not adjusting shit. It's just out there now. I believe that about Bitcoin. I believe that about net mesh networks. I would have believed that when the internet first came out, first hit, and people started to be able to use that at home. I think we are much more going 
out of the Aristotelian way of thinking, the actual way of thinking, the realist in quotes way of thinking into the virtual, into the potential, into the very strange abyss where anything is possible. And we're going closer and closer to that every day. But that's not a transcendental principle. In fact, it eliminates any sense of certainty in a transcendental pr principle. It is totally imminent. Um, I mean, if, if Bitcoin is infusing itself into the whole of society, for instance, Bitcoin's not at the top. It is society. Society's not at the top. Society is the process that exists where two people interact. That's not at the top. There's nothing that says anything about society in society. It's purely descriptive. It is the ascriptive people who say things like, well, this axiom works. This axiom will take us to this place in the future. I don't even know what I'm going to eat for dinner in two weeks. And there are people who believe that principles were founded <laughs> 50,000 years ago about the way human society has to function. And yet weirdly acknowledge the entire time that we go, like people like Marx, go through different epochs and scenarios. But ultimately, I guess it's going to end up in a certain way that I can predict. It's just... Uh, always been a strange way of thinking to me and so in conclusion put it all together um rand fits into the same place as many other philosophers as me which is more or less that i shriek away from any transcendental principles at all at the basis and i find those things a lot easier to undermine and degrade than i do the political assertions that she makes based on that because the political assertions she makes based on that are most of them are happening right now it's the way most people believe in things right now, in selfishness. That's just how things are right now. So those are not, not fine, but they exist, and so we should talk about them. But as far as how she created those things in her own head, I, I think what you said is it seems to make a lot more sense, Tyler, that she hated a thing first, she knew what the wrong thing was first, and built backwards. And if that's the case, it also stands to reason why the things at the very beginning of that, the politics, the economics, seem to make more sense than the actual metaphysics does. Um, and probably why more people are appealed to that than the actual metaphysics. Yeah, because that's what reeled me in, 100%. I, like I said, I, I haven't really touched on, outside of a few YouTube videos, like real deep, in-depth observations of her philosophy. Just... Uh, I just read the stories. I'm like, wow, these guys make a lot of money. They got some principles. These guys fuck. Literally, they fuck. They fuck all the, <laughs> they, all the they, chicks. I hear they fuck, yeah. <laughs> yes. They, and like all the chicks are also like Ubermensch style. Like they're like, they're bad bitches. You know? Yeah, to use, right. to use a very modern term, you know. They got, <laughs> they got, they got the WAP. The WAP, yeah, they, they certainly yes. do. So. They certainly do. Yeah, it is okay. interesting, man. Um, I, 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 I really uh, now, after having done the research, want to go and read Rand Distilled um, just to get all of it in, put it all in, because I, I always find something useful out of every yeah. single person who I've read. And I know I will probably find useful things in there, especially if I just disagree with it. Right. Then I can go, OK, at least I know the words and I can formulate my exact arguments as to what I think these words mean and why I don't like them. This um, is good enough for me. Yeah. So. So uh, we're coming up on time and Bird, we've we've really dug into some deep kind of philosophical stuff. So if you can handle it, we're going to go even deeper. I've got some hard hitting sort of rapid fire questions for you that you're just going to okay. answer the best you can. OK. Okay. All right. All right. So if you could fight fist fight one person from history, who would it be? Um, 
See, this is one of those questions that changes every week. You know what? If I could fight <laughs> fist fight one person from history, um, I would want to fist fight Friedrich Nietzsche. Yeah, I would <laughs> want to fist fight him. Because uh, okay. he was like five foot two um, and a little prick, and it would be really funny to have him write about it because you know he would. <laughs> <laughs> okay, would you rather go down on Maxine Waters or make out with Pete Buttigieg? Oh, Pete Buttigieg all day. That's an, at least he's not bad looking. <laughs> <laughs> all right, what is more likely, the complete official story of 9-11 or Flat Earth? <sighs> The complete official story of 9-11, and it hurts me to say that one. Wow. <laughs> would you rather Would you rather get stoned and make sandwiches with Robbie the Fire Bernstein or have yeah. a night of partying with Hunter Biden? <laughs> oh, man. <laughs> oh, man. Well, I, I, you know what? I got to chill with Robbie for a little while. We didn't eat sandwiches. I haven't had any chance to chill with Hunter Biden. I don't know if the pedophile stuff is real. I'm going to make sandwiches with Robbie Bernstein. That's safe, fun. <laughs> it's the safe yeah. bet. <laughs> yeah. Okay, if you went to high school with Anthony Fauci, would you rather give him a swirly, noogie, or wedgie? Noogie. Noogie. I'm very Noogies. confident in my noogie abilities. Yeah, oh yeah, all day. <laughs> okay, so now we're going to transition a little bit to the magic number game. You're familiar, I'm sure. Like, how much would it? How much would you need to be paid to do X? Very yeah, and I'm a cheap guy, so okay. How much would it? How much money? Sorry, how much money would it take to be Nancy Pelosi's gigolo for a night? One night of two thousand dollars, cheap. She'd feed you ice cream. What's she the magic sure number? <laughs> What's the magic number to kick your friend Pete Canones in the balls and know you can't split the money with him or tell him why you did it? Oh man, that would be a real betrayal of trust. Fifty thousand dollars. That's actually that was my guess. I'm like, he's gonna say fifty grand. So <laughs> what? A, what about to slap Aaron in the face? Two dollars. <laughs> <laughs> okay, last one. How much to have your salad tossed by Chuck Schumer? Zero dollars. It would be a treat. It would be a treat. To stick, <laughs> stick my ass in that evil fuck's face. It would be an absolute Crying treat. Chuck. Yeah, See, you're you're banking Chuck. on that. You're you're banking on that. It's like this mutually assured destruction. Like he's not going to enjoy it. Like he's also being forced no. He's not. He's not going to enjoy it. First of all, I'm out of his age range. Uh, <laughs> that's problem one. Yeah. See, I I deny the 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 profit motive. First of all, to me, it's pure revenge. Pure revenge. <laughs> Would the same same would probably go for Cuomo? And uh, what's what's the Kaiser Wilhelm? What's your mayor's name again? Oh, Billy de, de Blasio? Yeah, yeah. Kaiser, Kaiser de Blasio. Kaiser? Yeah, what is his name? Yeah, Wilhelm. His name's like Wilhelm. Fucking... It's like <laughs> Wilhelm something. It's yeah. all German, pure German. Yeah. <laughs> what a move. What yeah, an asshole. Well... <laughs> yeah, and now you guys are going to get someone just as bad in Andrew Yang. He's going to be no, just as No, I don't bad. think so, man. I think we're going to get someone just as bad in a former police officer. Um, I forget Ooh. the guy's name right now, but hold on. Uh, the mayor of New York. Uh, what the hell is this guy's name? Um, oh, Jesus. I, I don't remember the guy's name, but there's a guy running who's going to be a, a real problem uh, in the in the mayorship. Uh, actually, all of the people are going to be real problems yeah, in the mayorship. Not one of them 
is fiscally responsible in any sense, but I don't care. I'm getting the fuck out of here. Whatever. I'll, I'll hopefully I'll be out of here by around the time that vote is being taken in November. <laughs> smart. Yeah. Hopefully. Smart. Yeah. Gotta get have you, have you made up, uh, made up your mind or are you still going back and forth? Um, I'm going whichever place, uh, get, puts a job in my hands first. If it's a virtual job, you'll see me in Florida. That's the plan. Hell yeah. I will become the Florida man. Dude, that's awesome. So there's, there's a lot of good things going on there. You got, uh, the em- King emperor DeSantis. DeSantis. Yeah. Yeah. He's... Right. Oh, he rose in his, his title. Now he's emperor DeSantis. I like that. <laughs> yeah. He's, he's, he's rocking it out down there. Every, it seems like every day he's passing something to own the libs. That's he is a pure lib owner. And what's great is that I've never once claimed to have principles and I will continue to not have any principles at all. And so I am purely enjoying the owning of the libs because for decades, decades, the libs have owned everybody else. Everybody. I'm not a conservative at all. I'm much closer to a Marxist than I am anything else. And the, the libs have owned everybody. Absolutely everybody. And so I'm happy to see somebody just saying, fuck you, fuck this awful regime that you've established under everybody's noses that's been working to brainwash people for decades now. And finally, hopefully, the the reverse brainwashing is definitely what's going to occur. But now finally, hopefully, there's some some light to be seen uh, where there's actually a guy who's definitely running for president who's taken an official stance against critical race theory, a thing which in its reality, I think is incredibly useful, but in the way that it's been interpreted by absolutely everybody after it, very much in the way we were talking about before, has been used as nothing other than a political tool to silence certain groups of people and prefer other groups of people. I mean, to the point where you have New York Times and their 1611? I don't even remember what year it is. The 16-something 1619. 1619 project, which is, I mean, quite literally, the perfect example of critical theory when it's taken over by neoliberals and used to perpetuate neoliberal narratives, neoliberal capitalism, and not actually do anything to deconstruct history itself to try and prefer people who have been shafted in history. It's just kind of a way to perpetuate this weird class race war that (laughs) like neoliberal upper halves really want everybody at the bottom to be having so that they yep. can't think critically about the system where all of that happened in in the first place. I mean, everybody from neoliberals to fascists to communists to reactionaries would like you to believe that the media is the primary source of discontent. But it goes no further than that. Wait a minute. The media operates how? Money. The system that provides them with the money is how. It's always been the Marxist critique, the original one. But that got turned into neo-Marxism because they thought they couldn't attack money. So they had to start attacking institutions that manifest in certain places because of the money. I mean, that's ridiculous to me. As much as I believe in the cathedral, it's a second order effect of money. That's it. And so any distraction from that and and money and power being equal, any distraction from that is absolutely useless to me in any political analysis at all. Which is why, if we can briefly, because I don't know too much about what is happening, but the, why, in the age of Bitcoin protocol, and I'm going to call it Bitcoin protocol because the brand itself isn't as important as what the protocol in Bitcoin tries to get us to do, decentralization and so on and so forth, where we exist in a place where it is as easy as attaching to such a protocol that will dismantle as many systems of power as you can think, completely invert society into a populist mode of economics, which has never existed before, and certainly 
if it has existed in the past, was easily dismantled and will not be dismantled as easily this time. I don't know why anybody is focusing on the bullshit going on in New Hampshire right now in the Libertarian Party. Who gives a shit? Who cares about politics or rhetoric or any of the things that people have been using for thousands of years to lie to you to convince you to get into the system that we're in today? Do you think anybody's individual particular rhetoric is going to do anything to get us out of the system that perpetuates the class race war and all the bullshit that we have coming up that neoliberals who control this government, the weirdo neoliberal fascists of China are trying to push on us, the weirdo authoritarians in Russia are trying to push on us? There's a class culture race war that I don't want to say is completely unimportant, but it is and always will be secondary to money. And that is what needs to be attacked. And it is being attacked by Bitcoin. It is being attacked not at, of course, the Marxists would say, well, hold on. Money in itself is an absurd concept. Why do we have it? There's no basis to it. Whether or not that's true, I ain't ready for that one yet. What I'm ready for is to dismantle the current economic system, go into a new one, and then maybe we could talk about why we actually value money in the first place. We'll get to that. But like anybody who's talking culture war stuff, I've really uh, moved away from in... Um, my belief that they're doing anything other than perpetuating the cycle. I mean, obviously you could do more than one thing. If you're big on Bitcoin and you also want to use the LP as a platform in any sense at all, good on you. But man, there's a whole lot of people who are involved in that LP thing that haven't done an episode on Bitcoin. Interesting. True. That's so, I, I mean, I'll never tell Rallo you said any of that because you're supposed to be opposed <laughs> to him, but yes, Rallo has been saying right. that the entire time. Like, yeah, Rollo is, and I hate to admit this? it, is a genius about this stuff. When he attached to this, it was like, oh man, I'm not going to be able to get him on this. He's too sure and, about himself. <laughs> and well, and, and the the a lot of the LP people get really pissed off when he says that. Yeah, but it, yeah, but it, it's it once you want yeah because once you control the money, you control the game. Right. And can I just say one and, thing about the? Sorry, yeah. go ahead, Bird. No, 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 please, no, please. Well, no, I was going to say what's. What's kind of like, I'm just getting like LP and political fatigue right now with all of the infighting and the takeover and everything. It's like, if they successfully do it, like you said, that's, that's great. That's awesome. More just, you know, good information and rhetoric coming out into the world is better than mundane blue pill libertarian rhetoric, you know, holding yes. that, that Without uh, a doubt. mantle, but it's become this thing where the world around us right now is changing at warp speed. Like we're at some sort of nexus where things are changing really quickly and people are, you know, it's, they're spending 90% of their mental capital on this endeavor. And it's just, it's, it's sort of predictable and it's just boring. And meanwhile, it's like, everybody should be, you know, getting their lifeboats set up instead of trying to like steer the Titanic away from the iceberg. And yes. yeah, like you said, you could do two things at once, but let's not confuse ourselves about which is more effective and important right now. I think that is the maxi argument, right? The Bitcoin maximalist argument extended to all forms of political operation is you just go, well, if Bitcoin's the best at doing the dismantling, why are we focusing on a second thing and not putting all of our effort into the first thing? I think that's probably like a, a little bit hollow of a view because human beings really are capable of doing many things at the same time. And so I do, I recommend if you got good ideas, I want to see you, in as many places as, as you can be put. Guess what? I hate academia. I think academia is actually anti-freedom. But if you True. got ideas and you can you can work them in to academia, if you're like <laughs> if you're a, a a guy who is currently an academic, 
member of the Libertarian Party, Bitcoiner, and I don't know, a journalist too. <laughs> Let's just throw all of the all of the ways of communicating things to people as possible. I think that's awesome. Do it. Go for it. But and I want to stress this. There's a lot of people who think the LP is the method in the same way that a lot of people think Bitcoin is the method. And I'm a lot sure that Bitcoin is the method, even though I think there are many possible, then I am sure that the LP is the method. I'm much more sure of Bitcoin than I am the LP. So it's a very, very easy wager for me, which side I'm going to dedicate most of my time to at all, as far as communicating principles. And I think other people should start to do the same because again, last, last time I'll say this, there's plenty of people who think that the LP is the primary way. And in, in, in parentheses, who haven't done a Bitcoin episode. That to me is the most damning and egregious part of it is that there are people yep. going, you could do multiple things at once. Well, motherfucker, are you, are you doing multiple things at once? Cause I don't see a Bitcoin episode. I don't see mesh network episodes. I barely see 3D printing of guns episodes for somebody who's super into decentralization. And I'm not talking about anyone in particular. What I'm doing right now is describing a number of people with really large platforms who need to be doing a lot more for the effort of communicating decentralization. And taking over a political party is the opposite of decentralization. Absolutely the opposite. What's going to happen, even if you take it over, the way a political party has to work is somebody's going to have to formulate a platform at the top. Everybody's going to have to bind themselves to that platform. The great thing about Bitcoin is it's a protocol, not a platform. So when you opt in, you by necessity agree to the rules of the game. With politics, everybody can say that they're in the LP to agree with the rules of the game, aka the platform. But first of all, the way they interpret those rules changes, and that's how you see people like Rand, Marx, everybody being derived and used in very strange ways that they probably would be rolling in their graves about. Same yep. thing happens in any political system, where at the very top, you have a, a, a platform formulated, and then basically the guy who is most provocative, uh, charismatic, and interesting at interpreting exactly what the words in that platform mean is the guy who calls the shots for the time. Bitcoin doesn't work that way. There's a protocol at the beginning. It's purely voluntarist. You don't have to participate in the system, but when you do, you have to do very little law abiding. The system is the law. It structures the way the system can be used. For a political platform, what structures the way the system can be used is pure rhetoric or lies or being convincing or any of a number of unreliable ways of communicating as opposed to code and protocol and process. So again, right. all of that hopefully explains why I've completely moved away from politics as anything other than a communication method for doing exactly this, telling people to get away from politics and move into protocol. Well, and with politics, that's how you get a guy with no fucking hands as your president. Yeah, who gets no pussy either, by the way. Zero pussy. And hasn't for decades. Is that what you yeah. want? I mean, we're talking about the Ubermensch here, right? Is that what <laughs> do you want Joe Biden uh, at, at the top of it? A guy who, number one, no pussy at all. Number two, no hands at all. Number three, probably no brain at all. I don't know if you've seen him recently. He's falling oh. apart rapidly. Oh, they, Did yeah. you guys see him today? Or was it yesterday? Yeah. That, uh, the slip where he was saying he's reading questions and he goes, oh, I got I got my list of questions here. And uh, as usual, and I'm going to call him the, this reporter, blah, blah, blah. Like he said the thing he's not supposed to say. Like they gave yeah. him a script. Of, Who's going to throw me the wow. softball? Questions and answers from each reporter. He just said it. And wow, everyone's like, man. let's pretend that didn't happen. <laughs> he, 
they were able to shoot him up with enough cocaine into his rectum so that he could get through two debates <laughs> with Trump. That's what I said. And then, yeah. I said they had him on, like they had his nap time. They had his circadian rhythm set up in the oh, basement. Yeah. So he had sun lamps and everything. And then they had like mm -hmm. a designer cocktail of amphetamines All that just like drugs. for the right one to two hour period, he was able to yes. just kind of put my sentences together and you're, so yeah, I mean, I think that's, that's good. I like that one. That's a good impression of that guy. Yeah, I do man, a few. It is, that is, it's freakish. Uh, it's totally freakish. What the Manchurian Candidate or the Emperor with No Clothes? I don't know what. I don't remember what the uh, references of the guy who's basically a giant meat bag that the neoliberal establishment, who controls the money, is simply using to perpetuate the exact same things Donald Trump was going to do, but in a more charismatic way. It's ridiculous. It's, it's they started insane. building the wall again already. Booyah, booyah! They did. I'm sure they fucking did. Sure they did, man. That's what they want. Is that, that remember the wall is not to keep people out; it's to keep us in. Fair. Just remember that. That's all it's for. Fact. Oh man, Damn. we did learn a lot. Yeah, <laughs> this is great because I couldn't add much to this conversation. I'm, I was here to learn. Plus. I am uh, in a medicated fog, and my voice is gone from having a cold. So this was. Did you shoot oh, amphetamines no. up and your I'm, ass? And I'm high as shit. So <laughs> <laughs> it's a great balance. We played off yeah. each other perfectly. <laughs> Perfect. Well, cool. Anything else so, you guys want to touch on, or where, where are we at? I'm, I'm good. Bird, you got any, uh, any plugs? Um, do I have to? Yeah, I guess I have to do this. Well, Timeline Earth. Let's check that out. Search it on any podcatcher. I prefer Spotify. Um, nope, that's it. I don't do very much these days. I just have that podcast. I should probably do more. <laughs> yeah, man, you should. Oh, yeah, I, so, I was told we we're going to talk about meat. I guess we'll have to say that for another episode. Oh yeah. man, I could talk about meat. So, How many hours you got? Your 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 latest into the cave episode was. I, I listened to it when I was hungry, and you guys were talking about all this food. I was like, <laughs> oh, so yeah. yeah, we 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 might have to come back. We we'll, we can we can relate the the philosophy of meat. Oh, that would be very interesting. We'll do an episode about the philosophy of meat. Okay, I like that. Now are you, sure are, you like a, are you like a barbecue guy or a smoker? Or what's your what's your favorite? I'll tell you what, man. I'm not. I'm from New York. I know my limits when it comes to barbecue. That's not our thing. It won't be our <laughs> okay. thing. I mean, okay. um, obviously, if we're gonna if any touch brisket, will be left to people who are better than me. Um, in Texas, I had Texas style barbecue, and it blew my mind. It was some of the best food that I've ever had in my entire life. And I've had a lot of good food. Now, there is a place in New York called Mighty Quinn's, which is a bunch of guys from Texas who moved up to New York to make more money. And they keep the tradition pretty similar. Um, so uh, for me, I'm going to leave the barbecue to the experts. Uh, I like to cook meat on a cast iron. In fact, I bought, I had it that my first cast iron I got for Christmas, the most recent Christmas. Uh, and I have used it to cook every piece of meat I've made since. I'm completely addicted to it. Hell yeah. Uh, yeah. I think it's absolutely fired. superior to any other form of cooking meat, probably except smoking and barbecuing and so on and so forth. Yeah. Um, no, I, so, yeah. I got, a, I got a big old 20-inch cast iron skillet because I, I got a family of six. So I got to oh, cook man. all my meals in that thing. And I even throw it on the grill sometimes. I got a big green egg. Oh, yeah. And I I beat, I beat that thing up. I have a nice cast iron, a lodge pan, a lodge cast iron, and then I have like a cast iron griddle. Man, I beat the shit out of that thing. 
Um, yeah. I, uh, I, I, I clean it with soap every time I use it. I reseason it every <laughs> time I use it. I beat the shit out of it. It's going to be ruined within a few years, but it makes the best meat of all time. Yeah, I actually got away from do, from using soap. Uh, a, a friend of mine showed me like you can just kind of scrub it all up with like a like a brass or copper brush, and then I have it. Yeah, for the for yeah. the real cast iron that I'm gonna pass down to my children, I have the 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 steel wool and shit that you just mm -hmm. use to scrape that motherfucker. But for the skillet one, I, I have no time for it. It's a purely <laughs> oh, it's, utility. It's a <laughs> yeah, it's a complete mess. It's it's great. <laughs> I have two sides of it. Hell yeah. yeah. Well, We'll do a whole other episode on that. That'll be great. Hell yeah. <laughs> food's my uh, food's one of my top five passions next to Liberty. That might be my number one passion is food, actually. <laughs> I yeah. love food. Probably. And, and then, and then girls who are bad for me is number two. <laughs> 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 and they usually go together. Hilarious. Yeah. yeah, they do. So awesome, yeah, I was buddy. actually I was I was telling my dad about the the fat conkin. Oh yeah, I said I couldn't. I couldn't rave enough about it because my my dad's a foodie too, and I was like, it's it's a you wild concoction, it but it's so good. I I think the next time I head down to Florida because he he's a Florida man too. So the next time nice. I head down to Florida, we might have to make some fat conkins. Oh yeah, I have really crazy how that recipe I've gotten zero zero bad reviews about. I got a couple people who are like, I man, I just don't like bananas, so they kind of abstained. Nobody was like, "This is a bad combination of flavors." It was, it was which, delicious. Well, I should eat too. Yeah, <laughs> I, I, I did eat too. too. <laughs> I did eat too. <laughs> awesome. Yeah, should eat cool. too. Yeah, man. Well, I, I learned a lot, so I really, really appreciated that uh, your insight yeah, on man. all the Randy and philosophy. So I learned what, a lot from doing that what, one. <laughs> so, wait, Tyler, which one would you recommend first? I, I did buy a bunch of Rand books on Audible a while ago, and I forgot to listen I, to them. I would start with Anthem. Anthem is short and sweet. And if, okay. if you like Anthem, then go to We the Living because that lays the foundation of her hatred for communism. And then go to the Fountainhead, then Atlas Shrugged. Yeah, Tyler's been selling me on it for like three years. And I, I always like, yeah, I'm going to get into it. And it just. It's, it it's like the, the marijuana of libertarianism, you know? It's a gateway drug. Okay. Yeah, she. <laughs> and that, all, all credit to her that she is absolutely a gateway drug into liberty. Absolutely. In, in general, I mean, you can't argue that at all. She absolutely is. Now, you know what they say, you got to learn language to be able to ruin language. You have to learn <laughs> your principles first. You have to do stuff like that first. I get it. And then the only problem is, man, is uh, deconstructing some of the very persuasive arguments that she makes to people like to get them to the next step. Because I don't think you can even go to Hoppe directly from Rand. You you no. you have, you lose. You have to immediately start deconstructing a lot, even to get to a, another right wing guy, let alone a postmodernist or a Marxist, whatever. Which we like on this podcast. <laughs> I, did you right. speaking on speaking on the final thing? I like how the Libertarian Party, uh, New Hampshire Council, which basically was just disaffiliated or is being moved to be disaffiliated on Friday. I really like how they came out and they were like, "Unity is dead." Um, yeah. We have to purge the party of all of our enemies. We cannot negotiate anymore. I like seeing a little bit of Leninist reasoning coming from. I've been uh, waiting uh, for that for parties. months. I've been waiting yeah, for it for months. Really interesting that my co-host is the one who innovated <laughs> that idea. And I have no idea if their moves and the language that they're using has anything to do with that. But I sure like to think it does. 
I, I hope so. I hope he becomes a, an unwanting cultural influencer. <laughs> yeah, he would hate that so much. He, he would, and that's why I want it. I, he would hate it, I, but thrive in it. <laughs> yeah, 100%. 100%. So. Cool. All right, man. All right, Thanks man. again. Yeah. Thank Thanks. you for having me. Anytime, man. Appreciate it. Squaw!